every day we say Shir Siyam. But I'm sure you've noticed that after the Shira, we add two more Psukim. Two more Psukim which aren't part of the Shira as it comes in the Torah. The first one is the Pasuk Kila Hashem HaMelucho Moshal Bagayim. And the second one, V'hoi Hashem Nimelech Al Kol Oretz, V'yayim Uyye Hashem Echodosh Ma'echod. It's true that the last pasuk of praise in the Shira finishes Hashem Yimleich Ha'olam Void and these two psukim share a similar theme. They talk about the fact that Hashem is the Melech. But what's the significance and why do we say them here at the end of the Shira? So I'd like to share with you a principle in Hashem's judgment. We know that there's a principle of Midah Kanyagid Midah. HaKadosh Baruch repays in kind for what a person does. This doesn't just apply to the bigger picture. For example, the Mitzrim persecuted Klai Yisrael for 210 years. Many of them were killed. And therefore the revenge against Mitzrayim would be that the Mitzrim should get killed. That doesn't begin to compensate. It doesn't begin, so to speak, to encompass all the tsar, all the yisurim, all the suffering that the Jewish people went through. Just to kill the perpetrator may be all a human court can do. But it doesn't take into account all the damage and all the suffering that he caused. And therefore, when it comes to Midah Kanyagid Midah by Hashem, it's not enough just that the wrongdoer gets punished, but within the punishment, there has to be an repayment, as it were, for every single facet of damage that they caused, for every perspective of suffering which came about because of them. Let's give one or two examples from the Vilna God of this exactitude in how Kaddish Baruch repays Rishon. Let's look at the story of Purim. Haman was a Russia. Haman gets killed. Haman wants to kill all the Jewish people. He wants to kill Mordechai. And Haman gets killed on the very gallows that he intended for Mordechai. In there, there's definitely a Mida Kanegad Mida. Gemulay Heshiv Lebereshe. But there's so many more nuances than that. 
I'd like to share two points, just to bring this point out, which I heard from Rav Shlomo Brev de Zechariah Nevracha, I think B'Shem Lagan. Firstly, we know that on the day of Haman's death, was the day he paraded Mordechai around the streets of Shushan. And on that day, Haman's daughter plunges to her death in front of his face. Haman returns home in Ovel, and he just lost his daughter. It's a mere few hours before the party where Haman himself gets hung. And the question is, why was it necessary for Haman to experience the pain of losing his daughter just before he got killed himself? And the answer is, every time that the Megillah records Haman's Gzera of Lahashmid Lahargulabidaskarayudim to destroy, to annihilate all the Jews, it always adds a postscript. It says, Taf Nashim, the children and the woman. But it puts the children first. Why? Because Homan in his sadistic hatred for Klai Yisrael wasn't content just to wipe them all out. That they should all be killed. Homan wanted to add an extra measure of cruelty. And if they're all going to die, he's going to kill the children first. Even if the parents are going to die also, but that have that added suffering of seeing their children die before them. And Hashem pains back in kind. Haman wouldn't been it wouldn't have been sufficient for Haman just to die. There wouldn't have been in that, so to speak, an oinish for the the extra level of cruelty he wanted to implement. And if Hashem ensured he suffered the same, that he saw his child die in front of him. Another example. When Esther denounces Haman to the king, the pastor says that the king gets up in his anger and he goes to the palace gardens. And the Gemara says that there he sees workmen chopping down his fruit trees. And he says, what are you doing? Who authorized you to destroy my garden? And they say, we work with the Haman. And if the king was angry beforehand, he's further infuriated by the incidents of Haman to order workers to cut down his fruit trees, which never happened. These were Malachim. Haman never ordered anybody to cut down trees. And the obvious question is, there were enough things Haman had done to deserve his punishment. What was the point of bringing Malachim miraculously, so to speak, to frame something Haman for something he never did? And here too, there's an exactitude in the middle connected middle. Because if a person is killed for a crime they committed, of course, no one wants to be punished. 
But there's a certain resigned acceptance to one's fate that it was deserved. But if a person's killed for a crime they didn't do, then the injustice of it screams out that this isn't fair. I'm being punished for nothing. And besides for the punishment, besides for the sentence, there's an extra sense of pain, that extra grief that this wasn't deserved. And therefore, if Hashem is going to pay back Homon, to kill him for the wrongs that he did, and there were many of them, wouldn't have done justice for what he wanted to do to Klai Israel. He wanted to slaughter an innocent people for a crime that they never committed. If that's the case, the Milikanegat could only be complete if Homan also went to his death feeling the injustice that he's being punished for a crime that he didn't do. And this we see by Yamsuf also. That Hashem doesn't content himself with killing the Rishayim. Rather, the punishment that they have to undergo has to be so much more exact, so much more tailor-made for what they did wrong. When it comes to the Egyptian army who drowned in the sea, the Pasuk says there were those who went down like lead. There were those who were tossed around like straw. Each one, based on what they did, that's the amount of Yisurim that they were made to suffer. And based on this, the idea that Hashem doesn't just punish for the most severe crime, but every single aspect of the pain that one caused, every single aspect of suffering which happened has to be taken into account and into consideration as well. I was thinking about the Asimachus. Yes, of course, there's a progression and I came to teach a lesson to Klal Yisrael. And I came to demonstrate Hashem's mastery of everything to the world. But there were also punishments for the Egyptians. And if we think about it, and Chazal point out many of them, there was a very strong middle connected middle. Each level of suffering that the Egyptians were visited with by the various Makkas was coming to, so to speak, punish them, take revenge for a dimension of the suffering they called Klai Yisrael. Now we don't have eyewitness reports of Mitzrayim. We don't have any survivors' testimonies. We're going to take the liberty of looking at the most recent parry, the most recent persecution that Israel had to suffer. In the Holocaust at the hands of the Nazi Yimach Shimon, 
and to look to see. Besides, for obviously the, the tremendous magnitude of the crime that was committed against the Jewish people and the murder of so many millions of people, but also some of the, in comparison, seemingly insignificant levels of suffering that there were, insignificant just if one's looking at it in terms of the bigger picture of what the evil they did. But for the people who experienced it, for the survivors who went through it, these are things they point to as being tremendous Yisurim. It's not enough just to kill the Nazis. That doesn't begin to atone for the multifaceted levels of torture, of pain that they inflicted on the Jewish people. So I began to look at survivors' testimonies and look at the what they point to the hardships they endured. And one can imagine that in Mitzrayim there were similar hardships, similar Yisurim. And in that one can see in the Makkah Samira connected Midah for all these lesser tortures as well. Let's start with Makkah We know in the Second World War, the Jews were transported from one ghetto to another, from a ghetto to the camp, from one place to the other, in these trains, where they were locked up for days. As they traveled across Europe, and one of the primary things that the survivors of these transports talk about was a tremendous thirst. Of being locked in a stifling boxcar for two or three days at a time, crammed with hundreds of people, there's nothing to drink. One can imagine similarly that for the Jewish slave laborers toiling under the Egyptian sun in the heat of the day, as they were being forced to complete their quota, Egypt is a desert. One can imagine there was also the same thirst that they suffered there. Maybe not the worst crime the Egyptians committed, or the Nazis in Akshima, but nevertheless, the suffering they inflicted. And Hashem is going to pay back Midak and Neged Midak. For seven days there will be nothing to drink. You can't drink blood. Let them also know what it means to be thirsty. And then we get to Makkah Tzfardeya. There's a certain comfort, even if one has to work hard under punishing conditions. At the end of the day, you can go home and sleep. But no, in labor camps, they were woken up in the middle of the night by searches, by warrants, by guards. 
they weren't given the opportunity to sleep in peace. Mitzrayim was no different. The Mitzrayim, the officers used to come into the house in the middle of the night to wake them up. That's also a level of suffering. Let the Mitzrayim feel what it's like to be woken up around the clock. To be deprived of the chance to sleep. And Hashem sends the frogs. That are going to be there to drive the Egyptians to distraction at all hours of the day. And we get to the next marker. I read in accounts of survivors of the camps. They said that once they were in a camp, there was no option to wash. They weren't able to clean themselves. And as a result, they suffered from lice and big bugs and other insects. And there was nothing they could do about it. And for the Jews who were working in the sand of Egypt, I'm sure it was no different. Chazal Gafasav asked to say they weren't even given the reprieve to be able to scratch themselves. And they also had the extra Yusurim, which comes from not being able to clean oneself, which comes from being infested with lice and other such insects. And once again, in the scale of things, it might be a minor point, but it's a Yusurim nonetheless. Let the Egyptians taste the same. They will also have to feel the uncomfortableness, the discomfort of being attacked by lice. And that brings us to the fourth marker. Survivors of the ghettos always talk about one of the primary things when they were in hiding, wherever they were, there's a tremendous fear of going outside, of being caught by the SS, by the Gestapo, or by any of the willing non-Jewish locals who are more than happy to turn Jews over to the authorities. It's a, really a fulfillment of the Pazak in Eicha about how the terror reigns in the streets. People are too afraid to step outside. That's Yisurim too. Let the Mitzrim feel what it's like to be too scared to go outside. Let there be lions and tigers and other wild animals who are roaming the streets of Egypt. That a Mitzri too has to lock himself into his house and be too scared to go outside the door. That he turns to tremble if he needs to walk outside because he doesn't know what source of death is going to await him on the street. Let there also be those animals such as snakes and scorpions which are going to venture into the mystery houses. So that that terror will accompany them into their rooms as well. Let that be a middle connected middle for what they made the Jewish people feel. And we get to the plague of Dever. 
Once again, we see this in the Midrash about Mitzrayim. We see it in the testimonies of people who went through the Holocaust. When a person is categorized as an enemy of the state, then he becomes stateless. And all his possessions are forfeited. What about that? Besides for the Tsar, physically what the Jews went through, what about the loss of their livelihoods? The loss of their possessions? The fact that everything was stolen from them? And Hashem is going to do the same to Mitzrayim. The wealth in ancient times was in livestock. And Hashem tells Mitzrayim, you are all going to be rendered penniless. All your animals are going to die. You too will know what it means to in one second have your entire wealth confiscated from you. In one second that your entire livelihood is taken away. And then we get to Makashkin. You know, even now in Eretz Yisrael, the terrorist attacks. And the report always is there was a terrorist incident. And even if there was no casualties, no fatalities, Baruch Hashem, they say one person, two people were likely injured. I want to scan Baruch Hashem, nothing serious, likely injured. I remember years ago when I was a Talmud in the mirror. There was a terrorist attack. And the report was, no casualties, just one person lightly injured. The one past person happened to be a Bakr in the mirror who I knew. He was lightly injured. Lightly injured means he was shot in the leg. So there's no danger to his life. But even so, you have no idea how much Yisurim that person went through. Surgeries and skin grafts and treatments and inability to walk for months until he came right again. Maybe it's considered lightly injured by the scale of the media. It comes with tremendous Yisurim. Even for people who weren't killed in the war. But they spoke about being beaten, being whipped by the Nazis in Makhshamam. That also has tremendous history. The lashes leave open wounds on a person's skin. Maybe it didn't kill him, but he's going to suffer nonetheless. And Mitzrayim was no different. The Pasuket itself tells us about the taskmasters who used to whip them. Let the Mitzrim feel the pain of every lash. They're going to get boils on their skin which are going to blister and open and leave festering wounds exactly how they cause the Jewish people. They won't be able to sit and they won't be able to stand. Yes, that's what you did as well, Mitzrim. You should also suffer what it means. Just like they whipped the Jews, they're going to feel that those same wheels, those same open wounds on their bodies. 
And that brings us to the next point. Makas Sparad. The Mak of the Hail. I'm going to suggest maybe something interesting. That is that for people who survived various Nazi, what they called actions, various roundups, they were forever traumatized by the place where these things happened. They saw in that same place, in their mind's eye, they relived the horror which took place that they were witness to. The association became one of murder, of brutality. Just like survivors often don't want to return to the places that they came from. The association that it brings back of all the cruelty that they witnessed there is too much. Mitzrayim was one big slave labor camp. The Jews who were there were witness to those atrocities. They saw their brethren being beaten to death. They, they saw their children being bricked into walls. They saw their babies being thrown into the Nile. The association of the place was one of suffering. Let the Mitzrim also see what it's like. That they're going to see their streets and their fields as a place of carnage. For everyone was outside in Mitzrayim, got stoned by hail, got burnt alive by the fire. Yes, the streets of Mitzrayim became a killing zone. The fields of Mitzrayim became scenes of mass destruction. Let Mitzrayim now walk around those places and remember how they, the Mitzrayim, and their animals were the victims of a tremendous destruction. In the Eka Yusurim that the Mitzvah suffered by Arba, like the Pasuk itself says, there was nothing to eat. Anything which was left after the hail, anything which was left in Mitzrayim got consumed entirely. Mitzrayim was left as a desert, as a wasteland. People were starving. It was richly deserved. It was richly deserved. That's what they did to us. And here's the story of the ghettos even before the camps were built. And people were starving. There was nothing to eat. That's a tremendous history. Now at the Seder, we pick up the middle matzah, we break it and we hide a big piece away. Yachatz. And my children at the Seder asked me, why are we doing this? 
So that's already why we're doing it. The Gemara says that the children should ask. But if they ask, it needs an answer. So I told them the following. I said, you see this matzah? Imagine you were given this matzah on a Sunday. And you were told, this is the only food you have until on Shabbos. One matzah. What would you do with it? And the answer is obviously, I'd break up a tiny piece to eat now. And I'd hide the rest very carefully to make sure I have food for the rest of the week. Yes. That's exactly what we do. We break off the small piece for now and we hide the big piece for later. And we're going to pick it up and say, This is the bread of poverty. When there isn't sufficient food, then a person stores whatever they have because he knows there's no more. That was the reality of how the Jews lived in Mitzrayim. From formerly of being prosperous, coming down to a successful country, they were reduced to hunger. To having to bake matzahs and store the, the crumbs because they had nothing else to eat. Let Mitzrayim experience the same. They'll also starve. For them, there'll also be nothing to eat. And then we get to Makas Chayshech. Now, here's something which Chazal said before. But once again, this is the testimony of survivors. We speak about the fact that in the camps that they were in, for hours every day, they were on roll call. And roll call meant standing absolutely straight in line at attention. Was not allowed to move. Whether it's hot, whether it's cold, have a person's feeling. That's also you, sir. Ghazal said in the Midrash, in the Yalkut, that the Mitzrim used the Jews to balance candles on their heads to provide light. And they better not move so the candle doesn't fall. To be forced to remain absolutely stone still for hours is very difficult. And the Mitzrim paid back for that too. Makas Choshech, they weren't able to move. And eventually we get to Makas Bukharis. Like we said, the fact that the mission deserved to die wasn't enough. Every aspect of the suffering they caused, they have to be paid back for. And there's a difference between a person dying, as a Zobahaman, to one's children, or one's family being killed in front of them. And there's a difference between a person who suddenly confronts death to a person who's forewarned, you're going to die. And he has to live with that knowledge for weeks and there's nothing he can do about it. And that was Marcus Bukharis. In every family, someone's going to die. Let the rest of the family suffer for that. And not only that, it was predicted 
two weeks in advance. Before Moshe tells Paroi, comes midnight on the 15th of Nisan, all the firstborn are going to die. You have two weeks to look forward, and there's nothing you can do about it. And therefore we see in the Makkas, that it wasn't just that eventually the Mitzvah will die, like they do in Yamsuf. And even then, as we saw previously, the way each Mitzvah died was different. And how much Yisurim they had to undergo until they died was different. But even before we get to that stage, even before the final punishments exacted against the Egyptians, there's Medek and Neged Medek for every aspect of what they did. And how do we see, what do we say? When we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the Dayan, who's making sure to pay back every wrong done to us, say Hashem Yimlech Ha'olam Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu is able, so to speak, to construct a punishment which takes every single facet into consideration. They asked the great Meshkiyach of Chatzka Levenstein where the Torah talks about Gehenna. And he said, here in Kriyas Yamsuf. You see in Kriyas Yamsuf how every Egyptian had a tailor-made punishment ready for him. How much he was meant to suffer. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu keeps him alive long enough to experience the full effect. Gehenim is the same. It's a punishment tailor-made for each Russia. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu keeps him alive, so to speak, in Gehenim, to experience the full measure of what he deserves. A Basin can't do that. A human legislature or judiciary can just punish for the worst. We even have a rule, we can only give one punishment. We can't create a possibility of paying a person back for everything that they've done wrong. Only Hashem can do that. There were three times in history That this was manifest. The first, like we said, was by Mitzrayim. When Klai Yisrael comes to the conclusion of the Shira Hashem Yimlech Le'olam Vod. The second was Bahaman. How the punishment against Haman was perfect. It covered every point of what he wanted to do wrong. And in the Mizmar of Tehillim, which is the Twilah of Esther, which begins, Keli, Keli, Lama Zavtani, Mizmar of Beis, it ends, Kila Shema Melucha O Moshal Pagoim. With that same recognition, of Hashem is Melucha. Hashem is the king who is able to punish completely. That's the second part that we say of the Shira Sayyam. Hashem Yimlech Lailam Void, 
And the third time where this will be manifest is Lasid Lavi. Where Hashem will gather all the Goyim who harmed the Jews in so many ways throughout the course of the Goddess. And He's not just going to kill them. He's going to punish them for every single thing they did to harm us. The Midah Kinegah Midah there too will be as complete as it was in Mitzrayim. And Klai Yisrael's reaction to that will be V'hoyo Hashem lemelech al kol Here too we see a revelation of Hashem's Malchus. That He's able to mekayim the din in its completion, in its entirety. Those are the three psukim after Kriyas Yamsuf. Hashem yimlech lo'elam void. What we saw originally in Mitzrayim is how Hashem is the king. His din is complete. And we saw that again in Purim. We look forward to seeing again when Hashem brings Mashiach. Like the Pasuk says, that He'll bring all the nations for a reckoning. Not just for the worst things they did, but for every single level of suffering that they caused Klai Yisrael. And then we, Klai Yisrael, will see the Shlemus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like he said in Mitzrayim, that the Goya Sheyavoyda Dona Noichi, the nation which subjugates I'm going to judge, means judge for everything. Suddenly that's it lovely. When it's Yodin Goyim, Hashem is going to judge the nations. It's going to be with every single facet of the judgment. And we'll be able to sing, Vahaya Hashem, the Melech al